There are literally probably 10 different directions I could go this morning with Vision Sunday. Um, I've got a few notes. I've got a few things maybe to talk about, but we'll start, I guess, by reading a passage of Scripture. And I went back and forth this week on really, and I'm still not committed yet. I'm almost thinking this would be a weakness Sunday part two. You know, if you were here last week, you know, we talked about weakness and grace. And uh, after I left last Sunday, if the Lord hadn't hit me like a a freight train the week before, he did this week (laughs) with the same scripture, a lot of different applications. and I was tempted, like, well, maybe we should incorporate that into, like, Vision Sunday. You know, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think in some regards it does have a bit of uh, relativity to our vision as a church. Um, so maybe we'll kind of throw a few of those things in. So turn to Second Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read the scripture we read last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Paul says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this beautiful church body that you've given us as a gift. I thank you that on a Sunday like today, we can kind of revisit, you know, maybe what some of the things last year you've done and, and hopefully what we would have in terms of your heart for this upcoming season. Um, I thank you that each one of our testimonies is presently being built. It's not finished. It's been beautiful to see it unfold in the lives of, of everyone. And I just pray that this morning as we talk about some practical things that you would give my lips the direction that your spirit wants to lead and bring our hearts in line with your overall will for this church. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're thinking Vision Sunday is like Pep Talk Sunday or Motivational Sermon Sunday, it's not. 
I'm not going to get up here and <clears throat> you know rally everyone with my my grand visions for this church. I've got a few ideas. Um, you know, there's a lot that could be said. I think, you know, and this hasn't just been the last week of thoughts. This has been probably the last year plus of thoughts, which continue to come. So I'm going to try to summarize just a few things this morning. I'll ask one question, and then in another series of sort of angles and discussion and and questions, I'll try to center it back around and maybe tie it into 2 Corinthians there. The question is this. Are we a spirit-filled church? Are we a spirit-filled church? Now, before you start giving a theological answer to that, I want that just to rest, and I want us to kind of think through some of that. And it will have some theology behind it, but um, it's going to have a lot of, I think, just practical things we want to analyze. I would say... In terms of vision, and if I were to kind of play off of last weakness or, or last last week's message on weakness, um, you know, it's not like I stand up here today and have any real grand vision for what we as a local church are to this community. Probably as much as I do for what we are to each other, and I hope that makes sense. This. This is one of those things where, you know, you start, and for many of us, you know, we've been here for almost two and a half years, you know, you start with maybe ideas of what you want to see happen. Um, You feel an unction and a calling maybe to move out here. Many of us are transplants, like I think every one of us. (laughs) Um, But you've got ideas and then... The Lord has a way of sort of shaping that as time moves on. And you start to realize that the direction of maybe a bigger vision sort of circles back around to a smaller vision, which is a little more heart-oriented, where you start to see, wow, this, this wasn't really about the work of the Lord in my life, you know, in terms of how he used me. There's more the work of the Lord in my heart, you know, and from, and from how sort of the Lord betters a worshiper and grows a son or a daughter. And um, <clears throat> that's his ultimate goal. He could care less about the influence of a local church in the bigger picture if it doesn't involve children who have genuine, sincere hearts for him. You know, any parent knows that. You would, rush, you would much rather have your child love you than be gifted. <laughs> you know, and it's the same in the church. The Lord, I think, you know, whether we think the Lord is impacting this city or this community through this church isn't unimportant, but it's irrelevant to the season we're in. Because I think the Lord is trying to impact hearts. At least he is in mine. You know, so my vision isn't so much for what's in front of us. You know, like in terms of future of a church, it's more like what's in front of us now. 
right now my vision is um, to be a, a, a better, uh, more sacrificial husband, father, <laughs> you know, to love the people within this church. If someone were to come and talk to me about ministry philosophy and strategy, like, hey, what's, what's, what's your way you're targeting Denver? I'd be like, you need to talk to someone else <laughs> because I'm just learning how to be a dad and a husband and maybe a pastor for like four hours a week, <laughs> you know, on a Sunday morning, which it kind of feels like. Um, like I shared last week, you know, I think, and, and I think many of us sort of feel the same sympathy, um, you know, in different things in your lives. It's been sort of a rough season for a lot of people. You know, it's been a season where I think the Lord has taken us as individuals, which is somewhat us collectively, through very difficult and challenging and sort of self-exposing times. Um, how many of you guys know a man named James Gilmore? Oh, come on. You guys surely have heard of James Gilmore. No, it's not the Gilmore sisters or Gilmore girls or... Yes. <clears throat> James Gilmore was that famous missionary to Mongolia in the 19th century. And you guys are like, oh, yes, you've never heard of him. You've never heard of him. So, against a lot of advice, counsel, whatever you want to call it, People said, why are you going to Mongolia? <laughs> yeah. Why not? So. <laughs> so, and it was 15 years he was there before he saw one convert. Now, you can imagine, you know, the family, the friends that he left, and after the years of sort of prolonged labor, like, that is not a work of the Lord. And it's funny, because after 15 years, he finally saw one convert. <clears throat> so then everybody's, you know, less than impressed, you know. He's probably stoked. Um, after... The guy got converted. It had been about 12 to 18 months, and still no one else, just the one guy. And he got a letter, I think, from his local or the church that he came out of, and they said, hey, how's the church going, you know, a year and a half into now that you've seen a convert, you know, they're expecting more. You know, like, okay, the gospel's been planted, things are happening, give us a status update. And, of course, he only had one guy, you know. So he writes back, <clears throat> and I love this, he said, well, the church is doing well, in quotes. <laughs> he said, I have the same convert, but not the same man. You know, and I was just... As I kind of thought about that, I thought, 
maybe some of you and myself included, I think we could all probably say something like that within the last two years of what the Lord's done in our life. You know, if somebody were to say, hey, how's, how's things going in Denver? I could probably say, well, I've got the same calling, but I'm not the same man. Because you see that the work was never about the ministry per se. The work was always about the heart. And that's usually how the Lord tends to work. Um, I guess that's something I ask you. You know, you've been here for almost two and a half years. Are you the same person that you were when you came here? Have you grown? Have you not grown? You know, because these are all things that we're going to ask and we're going to have to answer. You know, are we a church where the Spirit is working and moving? And we need to caution ourselves against the external factors that we think growth refers to. But, you know, I know these two and a half years for me personally have been, you know, probably a work more for my soul than it has been for the church. And that's not to denigrate anything that the Lord is doing in our midst as a church. But by extension, you're always going to find this truth. The work God does in a shepherd is typically going to be an extension of what the Lord is doing in a local church. Like God will work in a certain way in the local church that he needs to raise up a shepherd. Um, And I've seen a lot of that in my heart. I've seen the Lord doing a lot of stripping, a lot of destroying. Um, In that sense, it's been a rough season, you know, to see some of those painful vulnerabilities that you didn't want your heart to really be exposed to. It's nothing new I've shared, but it's something that it does impact us as a local church, you know, because this was a season where, for me, I needed to be deconstructed of a lot of bad ministry habits that I learned and a lot of bad thoughts, you know, that I thought towards ministry. So it's been good. It just hasn't been easy, you know, and I think we could say it's been a rough season for us as a church corporately, you know. Everyone has the difficulty of the season they're in. Um, you know, it looks different, but it kind of feels the same. Um, you know, even to see a few of the church families leave, um, it's, it's not been easy. You know, I mean, the rustlers left. Um, you know, we really enjoyed their fellowship. You know, the, the John's guards, you know, they've left. I know they've talked to many of you and, you know, the one thing I'm thankful for is that for the families that have left, it's not like, you're the worst pastor. We hate this church. Bye. You know, it, it hasn't been that, at least not yet, you know, not to say that's not coming. But, you know, for the reasons that they needed to leave, which they felt the Lord was leading them into, the Burts have recently left, you know, because it's just difficult for them to make the trip all the way from Castle Rock, you know, especially with Seraph and, you know, I mean... I get it. <laughs> I would rather have them stay there where it's easier, you know, for um, the season you're in. But you look at that and you think, well, 
Lord, is there something that in our limitations as a church we're not able to provide? I mean, we are pretty limited. You know, it's not like we all live within two square miles of this area, you know, and we can be a little more engaged throughout the week. Um, for young families in a church, it's also, you know, particularly a little difficult when you have lunchtime, nap time, bedtime, shower time. You know, I mean, you, you've got these things that also present some, some things. So all that to say... Um, How many of you guys have, maybe when you were a child, on Christmas, I'll bring up Christmas because I'm kind of a Scrooge about it, but I'll give you a good picture. You knew you had that present wrapped under the tree, and you thought, oh, what's in that present? You had all your hopes and all your expectations on what that wrapped gift looked like and what was going to be inside of it. And then you open it on that Christmas morning, all of a sudden, that's not what I thought it was. But it looked promising. It looked like what I had hoped. And then you realize, oh, it wasn't it. You know, and in some beautiful, humble way, that's kind of how the Lord has dealt with my heart about church, church planting. In some ways, I don't even know if I like that term anymore. I think I have misunderstood church planting to call it ministry startup. It's like a new ministry startup, you know, just like you start up any new company. You just it's, you start up. Instead of calling it probably what it should be, it's, it's not even church planting. It's gospel planting. No one plants a church. The Lord plants churches. But he wants people to plant gospel into people's hearts and into people's ears. And we do that through the vision of what you know we've done for the last two and a half years. It's not going to change. We let the authority of God's word speak to people's hearts. You know, that's why we teach through the Bible. We will always teach through the Bible. Prayer is a big part of, I think, the vision of this church because we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's things that oppose gospel realities in people's lives. Um, but I can tell you, and you know, I'm just confessing some of this stuff so that you guys maybe get a better understanding of my heart, where you know, I might carry in, in one sense the role of term pastor here. I don't know if I feel like a pastor. Um, I know what the role implies, and I know what the responsibility of pastoral responsibilities entail. You know, you, you teach the Bible. You give people something to feed upon. You know, you try to tend to people's needs as best as possible. Um, but if truth be told, I feel like a lone document specialist at Wells Fargo. Like, that's what my life feels like. I feel like a husband. I feel like a father. On Sunday morning, I kind of feel pastoral, and maybe a little bit throughout the week. I don't see that changing anytime soon. It doesn't mean that I'm not pastoral or that I don't long to fulfill some of those roles, but... 
it feels like a season, like I said last week, where you're weakened by your limitations. That doesn't necessarily imply it's a bad thing. It just, it is. You're limited. I look at my weekly schedule and I think, Lord, I couldn't meet with five families a week if I tried. I want to. And I want you guys to know that because if there's things that need tending to, I am more than willing to tend to them. But if it seems like maybe I'm disengaged or I'm not proactive, like every week trying to, to you know, meet people or have people over, it's not because I don't want to. It's like in some sense I just feel limited. You know, So don't let any of that be a reflection on my desire or my willingness to try to serve you guys as a pastor. I do. I want to serve that way. If it looked different, if you know, I didn't have to work full-time to support my family, then I think that would open up more opportunities throughout the week to be proactive and to come to you. <laughs> you know, but as it is, I just share that because honestly where I feel dedicated and, and with, with what time I do throughout the week, I feel like a chef. Like, I feel like I'm trying to prepare food for you to eat on Sunday morning. Um, it's not going to be a five-course meal every Sunday. Probably feels like I just ate mac and cheese last week. Can't you go any deeper, you know? But it's what I can do. It's like, here, here's food. But it's not to feed you to then leave you empty. And I want to reiterate this, too, about our church, because I think we're mature enough to understand the, the philosophy of a healthy ministry should always follow the principles of Ephesians 4. The role of, of leadership within the church is to then train up the saints to do what? The work of the ministry. So that when I give you mac and cheese on Sunday morning, it's to inspire something Monday through Saturday that in you is saying, yes, I want to engage in the work of the ministry. And I don't say work of the ministry in terms of work of the church ministry. It's just work of Christian ministry in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in your relationships throughout the week. So... That's sort of, <clears throat> you know, what I, I want you to know I'm committed to that. I'm committed to trying to teach us, teach my own heart. Um, at the end of the day, you don't want any of the ideas of what Jason Cunningham has to offer you. You should be wanting what the Scripture says over your life. And that's what we're going to stay you know, committed to. So back to my question, are we a spirit-filled church? Are we a spirit-filled church? Um, I'll say this, if we are anything less than that, we are less than what God desires us to be. If we're a spirit-filled church, there should be sort of the gifts of the Spirit in operation in people's lives. They should be flowing. 
because we know that God says he has distributed gifts to each accordingly, which means that each one of you possess distinct spiritual gifts that are for the, ex, uh, the, the distinct purpose of building up the church and building up the body of Christ. That means every one of you in Christ has gifts. Now, that's something I've also been asking, you know, the Lord. Like, Lord, are we using our gifts? Are we creating an environment that we can foster, you know, the use of gifts? But make no mistake about it. Even though we're a small church and even though we sort of on Sunday mornings we gather and we understand everyone has unique busy lives, you are an extremely important gift to this church, every one of you. You have extremely important gifts that we all need. So that means that not only should you have a platform to use them, that you also need to be present to use them. You know? I mean, any time giftedness is absent, it hurts us all. You're gifted. We, we need each other in that sense. And I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about in the life of the church. I hope you understand that. Like, I get it. We all, we all miss on Sundays, you know, because of certain reasons. That's, that's not the bigger issue. But it is more of a connectedness issue. You know, that we, we strive to stay connected. We strive to stay unified. Um, is there ways that maybe we can foster some more of that? I don't know. Um, I think there's some really good things that are happening. Uh, I'm especially encouraged to see, you know, how the women have kind of done like their their monthly um, dinner together. I think that's just, it's awesome, you know. I look at the men and I think, we don't do anything, really. <laughs> well, sometimes we do, but it's it's not as organized. We're not we're not that good at planning things. Um, one thing that I maybe want to try to start doing, but again, I understand some of the unique challenges and and with schedules, but is to maybe do like a monthly men's breakfast, you know, just where we can um, meet for an hour and a half at Chick Fil A, of course. <laughs> and fellowship, just have men's breakfast. Um, and I, I do say Chick-fil-A because the one over in Sloan's Lake, which is close, is still relatively within this community to be able to serve and minister to. You never know if you just put yourself in position to be used. Maybe we'll see a few strangers walk in the door. Um, not sure. I know Danny and I go to the, you know, on Friday mornings we meet at Starbucks. And some of you guys remember Bruce, the homeless guy, the black guy, you know. It's funny how just by meeting at Starbucks we got to know this guy, you know. And now he is, he is like an active member of this church that never comes on Sunday mornings. <laughs> kind of like, how does that make sense? Well, he's, I mean, he's very committed to that Friday morning Bible study. Like, that's the one day of the week he longs for. And if we're gone, he lets us know about it. <laughs> you know, so um, he's growing. He's growing in his walk, you know. Like a 65-year-old homeless guy growing in his walk. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, <clears throat> one thing that... You know, I, I might have even mentioned this last year, which, you know, it's difficult, but 
I do feel if we are a local church, there's a reason why we we meet at this school, we meet in this location. Um, we could totally leave next week and say we're not coming back. We're going to start meeting in someone's home. I'm not saying that I'm not open to that. I don't think that's the Lord leading. But there's a reason why we're here. So my struggle, which I've always struggled with, is, Lord, none of us have open doors here. None of us can afford to live down here as much as maybe we'd like to. What do we do for this area? And it's the same thing that I felt over the past two years. The one thing we can do is pray. We pray for this area. We pray for this city. We pray for open doors to keep happening. I don't know how that's going to look. But if there's one way I can foster some of that is maybe once a month, whoever wants to, we could, this might sound crazy, but meet like, well, maybe in the warmer months, meet for like midnight prayer walks, (laughs) you know, where you're just like, hey, let's go take a couple of hours, you know, in the middle of the night, and let's go walk through the city or walk through some of this area. And I know your security measures are flashing red right now. Like, this is kind of, I don't know, it's a little risky. (laughs) But, um, yeah, there might not be a risk-free environment, but, you know, we don't have to do it at midnight. We could do it, you know, in the middle of the day or, you know, (laughs) Saturday afternoon. I don't know. I just... For whatever reason, I thought, let's just do something in the middle of the night, you know, and then meet for coffee, you know, when we're done. I don't know. Um, one of the things that's going to change the dynamic of the church in the new season is kids' ministry. I mean, we've seen a lot of, you know, with three of the families that have left, which carry with them like 10 kids, <laughs> you know. Like half of our children's ministry just left. Um, <clears throat> so we're kind of in the process of reshuffling some of that, reevaluating, you know. Um, Josiah is going to start sitting in, you know, our service with us, which isn't because of the kids' ministry change. That's something that from the beginning I felt once a child turns 12, I want them to come in. I don't want them to feel outside, you know, like, well, I can't go into big church because I'm not big. You know, I don't know about you guys. When I grew up, when you were seven, you were in big church, (laughs) and you sat in it, and then you had Sunday school. You know, that was just kind of old school, Midwest, you know, Southern evangelical type uh, of feel. But I remember even as a child having to sit through big church, even though maybe I was just all over the place. It ingrains in your mind that you are a part of this fellowship. You're not separated. Um, So on Sunday mornings, you know, it's not like we would ever have a separate high school ministry. I don't see any of that separateness in Scripture. They need to be apart. I understand the logistics of having not like three-year-olds in here while we're trying to teach. But, you know, I want Josiah to come in and feel welcomed. So that's going to change up some of the dynamic of, you know, the, the bigger kids versus the toddlers. You know, we're probably going to try to minimize the amount of workers down there to maybe just have two instead of three. Um, But know that it's still a growing pain. We're still going to have to learn it and figure it out and see what works, what doesn't, what's, 
We don't want to just lump these kids in together because we're limited. We do want to see what are the needs of each child. You know, how can we best fit some of those needs and figure out how we're going to logistically make it happen. So um, I'm just letting you guys know that not only could you please pray about that, pray about your role in that, you know, how you felt you would be able to maybe serve some of these kids because technically they still make up half our church, (laughs) you know, a very important half, very important half. Sunday mornings are probably still going to look familiar, feel familiar, but I've also probably because I've seen in my heart some tendencies towards repetitive complacency. And when I say that word, I mean that when you are seasoned in your walk, I'm I'm not saying mature because we want to strive towards maturity, but when you're seasoned, you can develop very repetitive habits on Sunday morning and be okay with that which can then impede the humility or the sensitivity or the transparency that you need as a local church. There might be areas in our lives where we need to grow a little bit. And just coming on a Sunday morning and doing the normal thing might not necessarily be the best thing for that growth. If we are struggling to sing well, then maybe we'll take a Sunday and we'll just sing. Because we need to flex that muscle a bit. We need to humble our minds about how people view us and strengthen our vocals to a king who's worthy. So maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to take a Sunday and say, you know, there's some tension in the air. We're going to pray. And that's all we're going to do. And we're just going to see if the Lord would expose areas in our hearts. I'm not saying that's going to happen every Sunday. Because then you don't get the measure of authority that you need over your life, which is the word of God. But I am saying that I'm open to maybe doing more of those things randomly. Not so much regularly or scheduled, but as maybe the Lord would lead us. Um, and I'll just share a quick illustration. Um, last, not last night, Friday night, <clears throat> Dylan at his little junior K, uh, the kids, it's like K through eighth grade. They had a talent show at this little, like, you know, Christian school, which we can't afford, which I'm thankful their grandparents are paying for, but, um, <clears throat> So (laughs) they did it during the day for the kids, but then they were doing another one at the evening for the parents, and Dylan was like, I want to go, I want to go. Even though he saw it during the day, he was excited. So we went, and, I mean, it's one of those classic, like, really bad productions. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, (laughs) the kids are like over here, you've got a bunch of parents who are kind of disengaged. Like they're just there because their kids force them to come. And they've got like an eighth grader who's emceeing it. And of course, she's like, 
she's got one of those very sort of sarcastic but awkward, like I'm in eighth grade and I don't know how to be older type personalities. So she's trying to like tell jokes or <laughs> MC the next one and no one is like really getting it. Like it was, it was awesome. <laughs> and so, I mean, they had like kids lightsaber fighting with chopsticks. That was one of the acts. They had a guy do like his, he did some kung fu. Um, they had a eighth grade, the eighth grade class made some video of like what they thought the first day of high school would look like, which was horrible. <laughs> but and then dispersed amongst that were um, several different songs, you know, most of them like, I mean, a few of them, songs I knew, some of them I didn't know. But it didn't take long for me to get like snotty-nosed. You know, I mean, I was just like weeping. No, seriously, I was. I might even start doing it again. No. Um, so... These kids get up, I mean, singing off-key, singing out of tune, just horrible. (laughs) And what they had to offer to the Lord was more pure than pretty much all of us would offer. None of us would get up in a talent show and sing in front of anyone. Except for Alex. He doesn't count. (laughs) These kids, and they're only a couple years away from reaching the age where the complex sets in. And they become self-aware. And everything that screams to them from the world, your identity is based on how good you are. And you're not that good, so don't sing. They're not there yet. And it was so refreshing and beautiful to see because I wouldn't be up there I wouldn't get up in front of a crowd of strangers and belt out I don't remember what that one song was but and yet here we call ourselves mature Christians And we're unwilling to humble ourselves before even people that we love, let alone strangers. I think we can grow in our worship. I think the Lord wants to grow us in things like that. At least he does in me. Because when I think about the beauty of who Christ is, I don't want to be restrained by the fear of man. 
And that's even the fear of my own brethren, how I would think they would view me. So this is a divergent path I didn't mean to go down, but needless to say, I want to I wanna look at some of our weaknesses and start to say, Lord, how can you strengthen those? That might involve Sunday mornings where we sing. That might involve Sunday mornings where we pray. That might involve Sunday mornings where we confess sin. We say, you know what, this is sin. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is wickedness before God, and I need to confess this. Whether it's heinous sins, whether it's other heinous sins, they're all heinous. But <clears throat> that's something that, you know, I want you to pray for us as a church that we would. Because one thing that has been driving sort of my desire for vision in the church hasn't been, you know, Lord, what, what do you want this to look like? It's mostly been, Lord, what is the judgment seat going to reveal? Like, I'm going to have to give an account one day before the Lord for how I shepherded and how I offered the people in this fellowship opportunities for their growth in Christ. That judgment day for me is very real. I could get so pigeonholed in my vision and say, but Lord, we need to audience build. We need to audience build. We need to build at least 50 more people in this coming year, and then we'll do it to 100, then we'll expand to 250, and we'll start multiplying so that we can then look like church. But is that what the judgment's going to ultimately reveal? Or do I have to answer for how faithful I was? And it's the same for you guys. It's the same for all of us. And saying that, <clears throat> you know, I'll transition sort of into our budget because some of that has to do with faithfulness and our worship to the Lord. You know, one of the things I told you guys last year at this time was that I, I have a vision and I fully believe it's from the Lord to be a part of global missions as a church of like 15 people. <laughs> Am I going to push that agenda on you and say somebody in here has to be led to the mission field? I know Kazakhstan is one of your calling. Who is it? You know, I'm not going to manipulate that. But as a church, we will do what we can do to support the gospel in lands that are far more destitute than this. This is not a spiritually gospel, you know, gospel destitute land nor is it a gospel destitute city and yet we're here but there are foreign mission fields that are and so one of the things that we want to do with the limited finances we have is to give and to give and support those things um, last year we set a goal that we would give 15 percent of all of our giving towards that and we did we met that this year it's 25. And the goal is to move it up to 50 at some point. Probably not next year. <laughs> you know, maybe we'll give more incrementally as the years go. Maybe we'll wean back and say, well, you know, we did 25. We can only do 30 next year. You know, 
But know this, the budgets have real, they have real impact and real consequences behind them for why people give, why people fail to give. Even though we're a small church, and even though we look at, you know, our vision to try to reach Denver seems limited, restrained, that doesn't mean that we somehow just fail to neglect a global mission as well. We want to try to balance both. I can't say that I know how to do that. You know, I'm learning that, but I am committed to giving money to foreign church plants, to foreign gospel missions, gospel organizations, um, you know, with the goal of hopefully in the future raising up missionaries. We'll see. But um, one of the things that we're going to do is, like I said, in this coming year, even though it might not make sense on paper, why are we giving 25%, you know? Well, because I'm not just going to have money sitting in a bank account. Um, and we don't have enough money to support me. <laughs> so I'm not just going to let it accumulate a bunch of nothingness. We're going to send it out. We're going to, you know, give to the foreign work. Um, and I can say this, you know, even as a young church, it's much easier to start implementing those things now than in five years looking back and saying, well, we only give 5% now, so let's try to increase it to 10 If we can already prepare a budget that is very sacrificial in its view, it's easier to then move forward and let the budget grow as the Lord sees fit instead of looking and saying, wow, we're really deficient in our vision for supporting the gospel. So how do we give money that we've already committed to, like, all these different areas? We got a coffee ministry for $50,000, you know. We don't, trust me. That's, that's <laughs> not what we have. <clears throat> um, one of the things the Lord's kind of revealed is that he wants, you know, us to not neglect the poor, not neglect, you know, those who have real financial needs. Um, we're doing sort of a benevolence fund that we're starting. And... We're basically just diverting $150 a month into a little account. It's like a, you know, part of the church's savings account, you know. And so we don't have to earmark that every month. It's just a fund that we're there and we're saying, hey, this is something, you know, there's a family in the church that needs some help this month. Or, you know, if we meet someone on the street and they say, you know, we're in real need. We can't support our family this month. We want to be able as a local church to say, well, here's some money we've got set aside specifically for the poor. Um, so that's something that we'll be doing this year as well. Um, lastly, I just want to talk about our finances, you know, what it looked like last year, um, things that, you know, I want us to keep praying about as a church. Um, and I'll say this to start with, I do not know who gives what in here. I've made sure to keep myself separated from that. I know how much I give. I know how much my in-laws give. And I know how much people that don't go to this church give because they always send me the check so that I can deposit that. But as far as within the church, I don't know who gives how much or who gives what. So that's why I'm going to speak with a little bit of freedom to this. Um. <clears throat> I don't feel like I have to be a salesman when it comes to giving or t 
talking about tithing and, and offering. Um, you guys have been here long enough to know it's not a sermon that's talked about much. Not because I won't. Trust me, I've got a lot to say about this. And when the text comes, I'm going to drill some things home that all of us need to hear. But today I just want to sort of highlight a few things to be prayerful about. Um, I guess number one, I would say, are you giving? Number two, are you giving sacrificially? Because if you're not giving something sacrificially to the work of the Lord, and I'm not saying to this church, I'm just saying anywhere, something that involves a work of God, then something is wrong. You shouldn't be condemned. If you're not giving, you shouldn't be congratulating yourself if you are. Um, But, like I just said, that I'm going to stand in account to the Lord, I also, as as a duty to be a shepherd to you, I have to prepare you for your day of judgment as well. And I can tell you, that you will give an account to the Lord for every penny that you did or did not give to him. So I, as a shepherd, need to tell you that. If you're not giving to any sort of form of ministry and it's irrelevant of how much, you will stand account for that. And you will have to give an account. Now, why does God command us? He doesn't suggest it. Tithing is not a suggestion. Not even in the New Testament. Why does he do that? Because he needs our money? No, it's because he knows our humanity better than we do. He knows the propensity of humans to be greedy, to be covetous, to be selfish. He knows that we are very discontent at our core. And one of the easiest ways to overcome discontentment is to spend money to make ourselves content. And do you realize it's become a god to people, the way they spend their money? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying, this isn't a plea to be heavy-handed and say, we need to give more money. I don't care if you don't give anything else. What I am saying is these are things that you need to prayerfully pray through in your own life and in your own heart because your financial worship is very important to God. And it is worship. And it does look practically like finances. Do you make God look worthy in the way that you spend your money? Do you make Christ look beautiful in the way that you spend your money? Or do you look at your balance sheet of your own budget and say, yeah, he looks as beautiful as this much that I gave to this and to that and to that and to that? Because it's never about the end result of how much you give it's about the sacrifice we all know that so if the spirit of god is moving amongst the local church then i think you're going to see people willingly surrendering their resources to him and saying yeah we we want to be a part of the work of god and here's what we have to offer in that last year in 2015 our total giving was $56,330.66 I don't know how the 66 cents got in there it just somehow it did Um, which 
I don't have a point of reference to say that's good, that's lacking. I don't know. I guess it's okay. I, I just don't know. Um, I would probably assume we could give more, but I'm not too sure. The only reason I say that is because we still have a very unique thing within our finances where there's external giving and internal giving, which not a lot of young churches have that. There are several people that do not go to this church that give very significant amounts of money to this church, which again is very, very humbling that they, and most of it is because of their connection to me, they know me somehow, whether it's my immediate family, whether it's people that I've ministered to in California, and for whatever reason they feel compelled to give. But when I see those checks in the mail, I think, that's awesome and humbling. Um, And it's a significant amount of money. In fact, some Sundays... You know, the only reason I know is because I have to look about the balance sheets on a monthly basis just to know how much we need to divert to the missions, you know, of what we're going to support. So I'll go pull up, you know, the the monthly bank statement, which doesn't show who gave. It just shows a total of what, you know, every week comes in on. So I add those up, figure out, you know, what's our 25 percent so I can send it off. Some weeks I know they're the only ones that give because I know I'm the one that put the check in there for them. You know, and again, that's neither here nor there. I realize paydays are different, but I'm saying the total giving, it's both. Um, here's where our expenses, and I had every reason, I, I had planned to have this printed off, but the printer didn't work yesterday, which again leads me to despair about ministry in general. Um, <laughs> So I'll just have to read it to you, and if you guys want to see this, I'll, I'll tell it to you. Our expenses for this last year were $37,422.73. That means rent or fees. We had to pay some fees to get our 501c3 status, uh, rent here at the, the high school and the library, $20,498.86. Which equates to about 55% of our total giving. Or I'm sorry, not total, 55% of our total expenses out of that 37000 uh, 20000 or 55% of it went towards that. Missions, uh, $8,058 is what we gave. That's something to thank the Lord for. Like we gave well over $8,000 to the, the work of global missions, and it's going to increase next year. Um, that's 21% of our expenses. Local ministries, which are things we spent mostly for, you know, activities amongst us or things that we did. Oh, Drumline. I guess the Lord really does want to rally us up in terms of giving. Local ministry, we spent $1,270.86. That's about 3.5% of our expenses went towards things that we spent money on to, you know, for the local church and some things. Uh, Hospitality, which is just the hospitality table out there, coffee, you know, snacks, uh, $962. That was 2.6%. We did do some benevolence this last year. Uh, We gave to, you know, some 
some needs. That was $1,565.24, which represents about 4.2% of our expenses. Uh, kids ministry, that's supplies, things. Um, luckily, we had a lot of crafts that we had spent from the year before and we still were able to use, but we still spent about $1,024 on those, 2.7%. Uh, and then equipment, supplies, which mostly includes like um, the laptop we bought, the iPad, the iPod, um, bought a bass amp so Danny can play bass at some point, you know, um, just other supplies and equipment within the church. We spent about $4,000.42.37, which is about 10% of our expenses. So... Um, that's where all of the money went. Um, again, it's, we're not raking in the dough, <laughs> but we are paying our bills. Um, and that comes from your guys' investment in this ministry in particular, whether you see this ministry as investable, like, do I agree with the direction of this church? Do I agree with, you know, the vision for how they spend their money? Are they flippant with their money? Are they wise? Um, we don't spend anything on a salary for me because we can't afford that. <laughs> um, would it be prudent for me to cut the global missions budget and say, you know what, I'm going to start working towards a salary so I can quit my job and devote this full time? No, that's just my heart. I'm not going to do that. But at some point, you know, maybe that's a bridge we'll cross in the future if the church grows and I feel the weight even more to want to devote full time to you guys. I would do that now. You guys just can't afford to pay me. <laughs> so, and that's okay. That's not, that's not a knock on anyone. You know, that's just the reality of who we are as a small church. Um, but... That's where we are in our budget. I, I always want that to be transparent. I always want you guys to know that, um, I mean, we don't subscribe to an accountability board because we can't afford to pay accountants to <laughs> come in and look at our finances when we already will show it to you guys. We're not hiding anything. Um, I also had every intention of giving you guys homework this week, but again, like I said, the printer wasn't working, which lends to more of my frustrations. But I have questions now for you guys. And next week, each one of you, I want to take one of these, and this is your homework. I told you you had a homework. These are questions that I want each of you to answer honestly and candidly. I do not want to know who's answering them. Do not put your names on these. Because I want you guys to be able to have the freedom to express how you think we're doing as a church. And I'm not going to go through all these questions. I'll just mention a few. These are not meant to try to stir conviction in any way, although they might. Um, my intention isn't to say, you know, we suck at this, so I'm going to write a question so everybody knows how I feel about it. That's, that's not how it's, it's, 
presented. I want these questions to be an honest reflection that are going to search our hearts and keep us very honest about, Lord, is this the direction you want me to go? Um, The first question I said, what does a spirit-filled, spirit-led church look like to you? You can answer that theologically if you want to. I don't know if we need that as much as, you know, how do we feel we're doing in this arena? You know, are we doing okay? Do you sense the Pilgrim City Church is operating in the full power of the Holy Spirit? If not, why? Do you think that the Holy Spirit wants to do a reviving work in our lives? Like, is there a way for that to happen? You know, do you have any personal struggles, trials, sins that you would desire to be discipled through? Um, Do you feel like you have opportunity in this church to serve? Are you actively serving in this church with your gifts? Um, Do you participate through fasting or partial fasting and prayer on Tuesdays? Please indicate whether you do or don't engage in fasting, prayer, or both, irrespective of whether you come to the corporate prayer meeting. Because you don't have to come to the prayer meeting to be a part of that. You know, you can do that at a distance. Um, But please provide additional information to help answers, you know, accordingly. Do you desire to be a part of a home group? Are you committed to a home group? If not, why not? What is your specific vision, strategy, motivation for sharing the gospel with your neighbors, coworkers, friends? What is your specific vision for ministering to Denver and the Highlands neighborhoods? If you're absent on Sunday, do you listen to the podcast to stay caught up with our studies? If not, indicate the reason why so that we can determine if there's any areas we need to improve the feed. Uh, Do you feel fully prepared and engaged during our times of singing on Sunday? Any suggestions for improvement? Is 10 a.m. too early to start Sunday morning services? Uh, Would you be interested or willing to attend a a once-a-month worship service for the corporate church gathering on a Wednesday or Thursday evening? Do you tithe regularly to this church? If not, do you tithe regularly to another church or ministry or missions organization? If not, why? Do you agree with the financial vision, direction of the church budget, spending patterns? Any suggestions for improvement? What are the strengths of Pilgrim City Church? How can we excel in these? What are the weaknesses of Pilgrim City Church? How can we improve or embrace these? Notice I didn't say remove. Because sometimes weakness isn't meant to be removed. What, if anything, would you like to see changed? And then additional comments. It started as three questions. It morphed into 18. (laughs) So... You know, one question spawned another, which spawned another, and before I know it, you guys now have an essay. (laughs) But it's important. It's not just important for me to read, it's important for you to answer. Because I think some of these issues do indicate, Lord, are we spirit-filled? Are we spirit-led? Um... We've got about 10 more minutes. Turn back to 2 Corinthians. I'll close with a few thoughts. And um, Alex will probably just have time to close with one song after that. But I guess if I can circle it back around, because I do feel like in some ways I'm reluctant to cast a bunch of vision and agenda at this season of our church. Because I don't know what would be me 
trying to manipulate my own weaknesses so that I could get out of them and use the church as the tool to do that. Or if the Lord wants to keep the season of testing in my life, i.e. maybe your lives as well, so that we might grow. Um, I'm looking at weakness a little differently than I used to. I guess what really struck me was I've been thinking about this, and I didn't go in this direction last week, mostly because I, I wasn't thinking along these lines. But most of the time when this passage is taught, it's taught that God's response to Paul was under the assumption of a negative. But I want us to read this very carefully, and I think we might see a little more power of what, what this text actually means. Because when Paul had his weakness, and it was attributed to a messenger of Satan, it was attributed to a thorn in the flesh, God does not deny that. And Paul somehow knows that. Paul's not just making excuses, thinking this is just satanic, when it really was just, you know, bad pizza. That's, that's not what's happening here. Verse 8, he says, Concerning this I entreated the Lord three times that it might not depart from me. And maybe here's how I've read it or assumed in the past that this was what this was prefaced on, that after three times God said, No, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. But that's not what he says. That's not God's response. Not at any point does God say no to Paul's answer. Or, or I'm sorry, Paul's question. Take this from me. Show me where he says no. That's where it becomes powerful. What God is doing in the apostle is taking a perspective of weakness and he's saying, I've got an alternative to that, Paul. Paul says, Lord, this is weakening me. It's hindering me from serving you. In fact, he prays about it a few times. And we don't know whether every time he was given this or just after the third time. But if you're like Paul or you're like any other Christian that struggles with weakness, you know that sometimes you're going to ask again and again, like, Lord, please take this from me. God does not say no to that request. And then say, Paul, my grace is sufficient. No, I'm not going to take that from you. In fact, I think probably God left the door open to taking it from Paul. If he really wanted that. Now what he does is, he says, consider this, Paul. You apostle of grace. 
consider that what in your understanding is to be weakness and what in your understanding that if it were removed, you would have more ability to serve, better strength to serve. Paul, I can take that from you if you want. It's not a big thing for me. I can remove it like that. Is that what you want, Paul? Do you really want me to take it from you? Have you considered this, Paul? My grace is sufficient to not just take this. My grace is sufficient to cause you to endure this. Now, what if in that moment, Paul decided, no, I want it removed. Lord, remove it. Yes, I know your grace is sufficient, but I can't endure this. Remove it. Maybe God would have removed it. I mean, he knows our breaking point. He doesn't give us any temptation beyond that which we were able to escape. So for whatever reason, whatever this weakness was that he's bringing to him, now I think the power of what is happening in this transaction is that Paul, in a very experiential way, says, Okay, God, if, if, if this is also a possibility, then I'm going to stop asking. And I'm going to accept grace as that answer. Which to me is more profound than God just saying, No, my grace is sufficient for you. Because I don't know a lot of times if God leads us down the path by always saying no. Sometimes he doesn't give an answer either or. He just says, maybe this is a more attractive approach to consider. I mean, who would consider endurance through grace more attractive than him saying, okay, yeah, I'll take it from you here. I'll answer that prayer. But it did something. It it triggered something in Paul. Because what he then goes on to say is, most gladly, which is what I keyed in on last week. That's what just blew me away. Most gladly. How do you say most gladly? Will you say it when you see a brighter alternative to the removal of suffering? I mean, God could say, yeah, Paul, I'll remove it if you want me to. Or you can also have grace to endure it. What do you want? And all of a sudden, Paul's like, I want grace. I need grace. And if that means that weakness is still a part of my life, give me grace instead. We don't want God to be a genie. Paul didn't want him to be a genie. He wanted to know more of God. And God is saying, to know more of me, to know more of my power, is to not always have the things removed. I can remove it, Paul, if that's what you want, or I can give you grace. One of those is going to give you more of my power. If he removes it, 
He gets that thing eliminated. He gets the desire of his heart. And he forfeits power to endure. And I think Paul got it and he said, Give me grace. Give me grace. And that's why he says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It was a most glad thing for him because it wasn't God saying no. It was Paul saying, yes, (laughs) I can endure this. Sometimes we just want God to say, no, now do this. Okay, at least I know what to do. What if God leaves it ambiguous and says, it's up to you. What do you want to keep asking for? Paul's like, well, I kind of want to keep asking to have it removed. But now that you've shown that grace is important, maybe I should also ask for grace. And when he says that phrase there in verse 10, therefore I'm well content with weaknesses, with distresses, with insults, with persecutions, with difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He doesn't say, when weakness is removed, then I am strong. In fact, he says something that almost seems mutually exclusive. When I am weak, when weakness is present, when it's not removed, when it's actively working in my life, Grace turns it upside down and says, that's actually strength at work. Because now you're seeing God's power to sustain through the weakness. I don't know, maybe it doesn't mean anything to you, but it rocked me because I don't want the season of weakness to continue. I want some strengths to start to be worked in my life. And yet God is saying to Paul, Paul, What I have to offer you is something that's not the removal. It's something that's the infusion of a a more attractive power. Grace to suffer well. Grace to accept the affliction, the distress, the persecution. And I think that's why Paul's heart could say, I am most glad about this truth. (laughs) Because now grace means something. And so, as a church, you know, I hope, I hope that, you know, where we find ourselves maybe feeling weak, feeling like we're in a weakened season, or, you know, even for me personally, feeling weakened in my vision, it's like, Lord, maybe it's not the season you're wanting me to just burst out of. Maybe it's something that's to be endured for a while longer, a lot longer. And if so, then teach grace and give grace I will bring your homework next week how's that deal Lord I just ask that you would um, as we close with maybe one song that you would give us just a heart that's appreciative and a heart that's thankful Lord, I thank you that to be strong is to be weak. 
It's not to be absent weakness. Lord, I thank you that, you know, to be a part of this local church has been one of the most blessed things of my life in terms of corporate community to, you know, not just teach every Sunday, but to get to kind of experience the struggle of personal growth and idolatrous destruction together. Mine probably look different than many, but again, can't say I have a ton of vision for how to reach Denver. I just know that I want to love you. I pray that would be the heart of everyone in here. And that's reason to meet and to sing to meet and to study, to meet and to pray. Lord, may you be honored and blessed in this coming week and in the coming season that we have as a church to offer to you and to this city. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.